The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, we're at episode 36. This one aired November 25th, 1951. And roughly around the second act, you're going to hear some dialogue about Tallulah's upcoming book. So I'm a big reader. I'm a nerd. But I don't actually read celebrity autobiographies and memoirs. I, I'm not really a memoir reader. I did, however, want to just kind of see what this book was and kind of the impact it had. It was released in 1952. It was a New York Times bestseller for 26 weeks. And that was before you can manipulate that kind of thing like you can now. Um, so that was a true bestseller for 26 weeks. Really a testament to her popularity. I did go trying to find some reviews of this book, you know, in case you're the type that likes to read celebrity memoirs. Goodreads. So the consensus was, it's a little better than average score, but the consensus was she just didn't spill enough tea, as the kids say. She didn't give all the dirt on everything she was talking about. Like, she was much more interesting than the things she was sharing. The book was self-serving. It wasn't really like a true deep dive into her life or a retrospective it was reading more as like a promotional piece which makes sense she's hosting a very big radio show uh, the good things that were said were you know it's an insider's look at the american entertainment industry at a very interesting time and it has a lot of her wit and personality but the best comment the best most astute thing i read on this somebody said this is a book that's kind of boring to read but it would have been a spectacular audiobook with Tallulah reading it herself. And I'm thinking, yes, that's unfortunate. We don't have that. I would have listened to that. <laughs> so there you go. If you're a big reader, you like celebrity memoirs and you just like that era or something. Um, Tallulah, my autobiography came out in 1952. That's what they're referencing about 30 minutes into the show. And so this is an episode again like we had a couple of weeks ago, where there's just a handful of people that we really don't hear that much from. I'm not sure they even show up again. In this case, I, none of them are really long, impactful, necessarily, kind of legacies. But it's interesting that two of them, I don't necessarily know that their names are common, but their faces are. I knew both of these first two instantly. The other two, popular in their day types, People in 1951 probably were very aware of who they were, and maybe today not so much. But let's kick it off with the one that I love the most, Phil Foster. So this person debuted as a nightclub comic in Chicago in the late 30s, purely out of chance. Stand-up comic didn't show up. He got pushed out, didn't even know he should have a set ready. He just starts talking. People think he's funny. He gets a regular paid gig like that night doing stand-up. And so that's kind of where his whole career kicks off. And where you're going to know him is Laverne and Shirley. He happened to be friends with Gary Marshall, who was, you know, the creator of that. And so he was very supportive of Gary Marshall's comedy writing in the early days. And Gary returned the favor by having Phil come on and play Frank DeFazio and Laverne and Shirley. And he was also in The Odd Couple. And so that's where you're going to know Phil Foster. So that's kind of fun. He pops up here in his earlier kind of days. The other was Martha Scott. So 1938 Broadway debut in Our Town, 1940. She's nominated for Best Actress Oscar for Our Town, the film. But how we will know her 
1956. She's the mother of Charlton Heston in The Ten Commandments. And in 1959, she's the mother of Charlton Heston in Ben-Hur. And kind of funny, on stage, she played his wife twice. But on film, for some reason, she was cast as his mother. Convincingly, so those are great performances, great movies. But she works steadily, 70s and 80s. Like, she was on the Bob Newhart show, Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Dallas, The Love Boat, Magnum P.I., Highway to Heaven, Murder, She Wrote. If it was a big show, apparently, in the 80s, Martha Scott was there. So those were the two that may not know their name, but you would know their face the second you saw them. So we get to the other two, kind of famous in their day, 1950s audiences would know these folks. Mary McCarty. She's an actress, singer, dancer, and comedian. She's best known by anybody today as her role on Trapper John MD. She played nurse Clara Starch Willoughby. And she actually got her start as a child actress alongside like a Shirley Temple and Jane Withers. And actually did have a prolific career, 75 films. She just wasn't like a household name. It wasn't a huge star relative to a lot of the people who come on the show. But uh, some of the films you may have heard of, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, The French Line, All That Jazz, and Somebody Killed Her Husband. So that's Mary McCarthy, a former child star that just continued to work as an adult fairly steadily. And then Martha Wright. So what's interesting about her is she replaced Mary Martin twice in shows. She was a Broadway and TV actress and a soprano singer. And so she replaced Mary Martin the first time in South Pacific in 1951. So right in line with where we hear her on the show. And that brought her national attention. That's a, you know, really big name and a really big show. And she's kind of feeling that's a big role to take on and a huge talent to to replace. And then she would do it again 10 years later when Mary Martin left The Sound of Music. And then in 1954, I find it so interesting when these things pop up. In the early days of TV... I'm not saying it was easy to get a TV show. It certainly wasn't easy to make it successful one, just like it's really not any easier today. But there were so many of these things. So Martha Wright, the Martha Wright show, it was just a 15 minute series on ABC. And I just feel like so many of these kind of in their day type of talents had a chance to do that. And I'm not sure why. (laughs) I don't know if their fallings were much, much bigger and just didn't last longer than maybe that decade or something. But Definitely uh, never know who's going to show up. And it's always just so interesting to just start piecing those different timelines together of the culture of the time and the the people who were big players. And, And that's really what this is all about. So from November 25th, 1951, this is The Big Show. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. The first half hour presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company. And starring the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. For the next hour and 30 minutes, you will be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. Such bright stars as... Dane Clark, Bill Foster, Mary McCarty, George Sanders, 
Martha Scott, Martha Wright, Meredith Wilson, and my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Well, darlings, I hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving. Of course, those of you who live in states where Thanksgiving is celebrated this coming Thursday, a happy Thanksgiving to you, too. I think it's a good idea, two Thanksgivings a year. As a matter of fact, two of every holiday would suit me, two Christmases a year, two Independence Days, and naturally two New Year's Eves a year. <laughs> I'll go along with all that, but when they get to two birthdays a year, I give up. I prefer it the way it is One birthday every two years <laughs> But in between all the celebration that goes along with Thanksgiving I always take a few hours out every year for introspection To take note of all the things I should be thankful for I'm thankful I'm still the most glamorous woman in the world I'm thankful I'm still the greatest actress in the world I'm thankful I'm still the most exciting personality of our time and of course, darlings... Oh, thank you. <laughs> of course, my darlings, I am especially thankful that I'm still so humble and modest. <laughs> and this year, I'm particularly thankful we have such a darling sponsor as the Reynolds Metals Company. Well, Miss Bankhead, many women are thankful for that great work saver, Reynolds Wrap, the original and genuine, the pure aluminum foil in handy kitchen rolls. And it's worth considering what an amazing development it represents. Less than a hundred years ago, aluminum was a laboratory curiosity, more precious than gold. And right up to 1940, its growth was comparatively slow. Then what happened? Reynolds brought in competition. Competition that pushed production up and pushed the price down. From that time, the uses of aluminum grew amazingly. Aluminum to make refrigerators and washing machines more efficient to make automobiles safer and more economical, and to create countless better products. And if a great part of today's production must go for defense, there's more aluminum on the way from the industry that Reynolds made competitive. Reynolds, one of America's great producers of aluminum. Well, darlings, we are indeed proud of our first guest of the evening. Last year, he won Hollywood's coveted Academy Award. This year, he has been riding high on the big show. So here he is, direct from the Riding Academy, Mr. George Sanders. <laughs> George, darling, I'm so glad to have you back on our program again. I can understand that. <laughs> I've missed you these past few weeks. I've missed you, too. Oh, have you been listening to our program? No, that's how I managed to miss you. <laughs> well, here we go again. Now, George, I don't understand you. I'm trying to be warm and friendly. Whether you realize it or not, I'm the very best friend you have. Pity. <laughs> and I only hope that someday I can prove it to you. I am a friend in need. If you are ever in need, down and out, broken in spirit, sick in body, unwanted and unloved, then you will be thankful that I am your friend. Yes, but uh, fortunately at the moment I'm not down and out. I can wait, darling. <laughs> You've outweighted everyone else. That, there, that's exactly what I mean. I offer you friendship. 
I try so hard to find a common meeting ground between us. George, I just don't know how to communicate with you, how to get through to you. May I suggest a spirit message? <laughs> but I'm not dead yet. I can wait, darling. <laughs> I would offer you a lift if we weren't going in opposite directions. I'll drop down and visit you. George, you're forgetting one important thing. I'll grant you were a big hit in pictures before I met you, but you're forgetting it was I who started you on radio. I forgive you. Well, you've done very well on this program. And I've even heard talk on Broadway that since you've done so well with us here, the producers want to do plays with you, and someday you'll be the star of a big Broadway hit. And I can just picture myself now coming to the theater to see you, the friend you forgot, a little old lady sitting quietly way up in the balcony, watching proudly as you play your big dramatic scene. And I turn to the person next to me and I say, that's George Sanders. I knew him when. Well, do you think you should be talking through my big dramatic scene? <laughs> oh, of course. I'm so sorry, George. I, I, I'll be so quiet. And after your play is finished, I'll come backstage to see you. I'll wait around in the shadows until after all your friends are gone, and I'll knock quietly on your dressing room door. Yes, who is it? Come in. Good evening, Mr. Sanders. <laughs> oh, it's you. Good evening, my dear. Which is it tonight, apples or pencils? <laughs> no, I'm not selling anything tonight, Mr. Sanders. Don't you remember you gave me a ticket to come and see your play tonight? Oh, yes. It was so kind of you, Mr. Sanders. I know. You've been so kind to me all these years, dear Mr. Sanders. All these years you've been giving me clothes to wear during the cold weather. Oh, it's nothing, my dear. Luckily, we both wear the same size slacks. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I can never thank you enough for what you've done for me. When I first met you, what was I but a rich, famous motion picture star? <laughs> And now I really want to repay you. Here is a ring which has been in my family for generations. Take it. It's yours. Oh, Mr. Sanders, not this big diamond ring. It must be at least 20 carats. It's yours, my dear. Small pay indeed. This diamond for me, Mr. Sanders, and oh, you've had it inscribed especially for me. What does it say? In case of fire, break glass. <laughs> Oh, you cheapskate. <laughs> just for spite, I'll never be a little old lady. And just for spite, I'll never let you plug another one of those songs you keep writing for this program. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm not singing one of my own songs tonight. Well, George Sanders, without a song. Which happens to be the title of the song I'm singing, without a song. Trapped by a music cue. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, assisted by Meredith Wilson and the big show orchestra and chorus, Mr. George Sanders will sing without a song. Orange Aid will be sold in the lobby during this intermission. Meredith, if you please. <laughs> Things go wrong, 
A man ain't got a friend without a song. That field of corn would never see a plow. That field of corn would be deserted now. A man is born, but he's no good no how without a song. I got my trouble and woe, but sure as I know the Jordan will roll. I'll get along as long as the song is strong in my soul. I'll never know what makes the rain to fall. I'll never know what makes the grass so tall. I only know there ain't no love at all without a Thank you, George Sanders. You were wonderful. You'll be happy to know we sold $81 worth of orangeade in the lobby during your number. <laughs> oh, uh, Miss Bankhead. Yes, Meredith Wilson. Uh, Miss Bankhead, I would like to talk to Mr. Sanders, if I may. And now, Meredith, every week you hold up the show by talking to our guests. You've got to stop these dull, revolting, nauseating conversations. <laughs> Well, uh, that's just it. I'd like my conversation to be interesting, revolting, and nauseating. <laughs> See, I've been practicing some of the things Mr. Sanders said, and, uh, well, I think I'm well on the way to becoming another George Sanders. Do you think the world is ready for two George Sanders? <laughs> Meredith, my pet, you might as well give up. No matter what you say or do, you will never become the polished, sophisticated George Sanders. Pity. <laughs> How, how'd you like that, Miss Bankhead? Pitiful Why, well, he went out and bought a long cigarette holder Like he uses in his pictures Well Oh, it caused a lot of comment But I gave it up It's uh, such a lot of trouble Smoking a pipe through a cigarette holder Meredith, you've been hitting the pipe too much 
I'm afraid I can't help you. You'd better get your information right from the horse's mouth. Yeah, that's why I came to you, Miss Bankhead. What? <laughs> no, I mean, I want you to let me talk to Mr. Sanders. No, oh, all right. George, come here a moment. You know Meredith, darling, don't you? Only to say goodbye to. <laughs> Meredith, you're looking well. Pity. Kalula. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was definitely understood that if I consented to appear on this program, I could choose the bores I had to talk to. Well, uh, why don't you choose me, Mr. Sanders? <laughs> yes, George. I sort of promised Meredith you'd advise him on something. You'll find he, he's really a wonderful fellow. He, he's just a little bit of a schmo, that's all. <laughs> a bit of a what? A schmo. What, what Miss Bankhead means by schmo is that I'm sort of a... Uh, well, uh, I guess you'd call it a, uh... a yokel. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Sanders. Any time. I must, uh, I must remember that word, yokel. Don't worry, darling. There'll always be somebody around to remind you. <laughs> and may I remind you, it's time for a number by your orchestra. I heard you rehearsing too young this morning. Yeah. Well, for heaven's sakes, don't play it. Why don't you play one of my favorites? That bouncy tune you wrote. This is it. Okay, Meredith, will you, darling, if you please? When I was very young, I once got struck by lightning. And once I fell downstairs with a barrel of beer. I once shot a firecracker off in a grand piano. But all that rattle and all that bang was just so much lemon meringue. Compared to what you've done to me, my Oh. Uh... 
Meredith, that was divine. And now let's set the aluminum stage for our darling sponsor, the Reynolds Metals Company. Well, Miss Bankhead, maybe this is not an aluminum stage. But this RCA building where we broadcast is built with aluminum spandrels up and down at 65 stories. Throughout the building industry, the trend is to the light, strong metal that never rusts. Aluminum. You'll find Reynolds aluminum in the towers of skyscrapers, in the bright storefronts of modern Main Street, in building entrances, canopies, awnings, railings, doors. Aluminum windows have become the mark of modern architecture because they look beautiful and stay that way without any painting, because they always work perfectly, and because their slender, graceful frames give more light area. America's great defense plants, too, are being built more and more with Reynolds aluminum. Aluminum roofing and siding practically eliminates maintenance, and it also improves the worker's comfort by reflecting radiant heat, keeps the interior cooler in summer, warmer in winter. Yes, America is building better with the modern metal, aluminum. And in this field again, Reynolds stands out as pioneers of progress through aluminum. High on the list of dramatic hits playing Broadway this season is The Number, a play by Arthur Carter starring Dane Clark and Martha Scott. It is our pleasure to bring you the stars in the scene from the play tonight on The Big Show. Dane Clark and Martha Scott in Act One, Scene Three of The Number. As the curtain rises, Dominic and Sylvia are seated at a secluded corner table in a restaurant miles away from the town. There is a reason for the isolated meeting place. Dominic is a small-time bookmaker. Sylvia is a telephone bet taker for one of the larger bookmakers. To each other, they are supposed to be nothing more than telephone voices, and the meeting between them is a violation of a strange gangland code of ethics. They are only safe together in places such as this, places off the beaten track, places where they hope to be alone and unknown. How about it, baby? You ready to tackle a dish of lasagna? You talk me into it. <laughs> that waitress <laughs> ever comes back. Well, at least we got the wine. Here. A salute. Salute. Hey, you pick things up quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the first time I heard your voice on a phone, I knew I was going to like everything about you. The only worry I had was that, well, I wouldn't get over the first hurdle that you'd know from the way I sounded that I was a mug. Oh, you're not. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Ah, uh, come here, baby. Hey, is that the new perfume I got you? Uh-huh. Smells just like its name. Rapturous moment. Whoever thinks up them titles has been around. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm with you, Dominic, I'm always making discoveries about myself. Like what? But there was a time when I'd have died of embarrassment at being kissed in public. You mean like just now? Uh-huh. You know, in all the years Si and I were married, he never kissed me in public. Well, why not? Is it uh, bad manners or something? <laughs> I don't care what it is anymore. I love being in love with you. In private and in public. You see, I told you knowing me would be an education for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before I forget, baby, there's something I want you to do for me. What? Well, there's a number I want to play Saturday. I want you to put it in and play it for me. If I wait to call it in, I may forget. Here, give me that napkin. Right here. You know, sometimes my customers give me heavy action on Saturday. I might forget my own bet. 
I'll write it down for you. But you ought to phone it in no, Friday, Tommy. it's all right, Tommy. baby. It's all right. It's all right. Number is one, two, two, ten dollars. Dominic Spitzolini. Saturday. Yeah. I thought you knew better than to play the numbers yourself. Oh, I never play them except when a very special number registers with me, and this is a very special number. What's so very special about it? What month is this? January. Right. That makes it my first number. One for the first month. Uh huh. And Saturday is my mother's birthday. And what is Saturday? Your number's what? One, two, two. Saturday must be the 22nd, right? Very bright. <laughs> well, I, I don't like to take a number bet outside the office, Dominic. I, I've never taken one, e except when you and the other boys call in on the phone. Maury wouldn't like it. Well, what difference is it? I may forget it if I don't put it in now. Well, it's just that when I take a number over the phone, I feel dis detached from it. It's impersonal. Huh? You know what I mean? Uh... Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> the distinction's a very fine one. I'll see. <laughs> Too fine, I guess. All right, give it to me, darling. I'll put it in for you. Good girl. And if I win with that number, honey, you win too. No, Dominic. No, nothing. If that number wins, half the 5,000 goes to my mother because it's her number. And the other half goes to you, baby, because... No, Dominic, I won't let you play any money for me. Why not? Well, you know why not. But I'm going to play the 10 anyway. What difference does it make where the money comes from originally? Well, what difference does it make to Maury whether I give him a bet for one of my customers or for myself? Uh, if, if I let you play for me, it'd be the same as if I were playing with the office myself, and Maury wouldn't like it. But you're not letting me, honey. I'm doing it on my own hook. And Maury doesn't have to know. Doesn't have to know any more than he knows that we're here together now. Look, as far as he knows, we're just voices on a phone to each other. We've never met. No, he doesn't know, but we know. The first thing he told me when I went to work for him was, don't say anything to the players when they call. Just take the bets and don't make any dates. Yeah, I know, I know that. But I only had to hear your voice once. And I knew I had to see you. Just like you knew you had to see me. I don't like it, Dominic. I don't like meeting in out-of-the-way places and hiding. You think I like it, baby? Oh, look. Soon we won't have to be hiding out in crumb joints. With luck, in a few months, I'll have a big enough bundle to buy into a business. A legitimate business out of town. I got it all picked out. Everything is set. All I need is a little more dough, and then you'll be marrying a respectable businessman. What's the matter? Nothing, Dominic. Whenever I bring up getting married, your face gets a funny look. It's not a funny look. It's a scared look. Look, I... you don't have to feed it to me with sugar, baby. I'm good enough for you, but not good enough for you to become my wife. That isn't true. Oh, Dominic, I don't like to fail at things. My marriage with Sty failed. It, it, it took me years to get up enough courage to leave him, and then... I hope it's not going to take you years to get up enough courage to make up your mind about me. I didn't know you had to be so brave to become my wife. It makes a guy feel real good. Dominic, you're angry. I, I was just trying to make you understand What's why... What's to understand? I'm good enough to meet in a joint like this, but I'm not good enough to be married to. Uh... Why won't you listen to me? Why don't you talk it out? Talk. Talk, what does all my talking get me? Haven't I talked long enough? Oh. Baby, what can I tell you that will make up to you for what I'm not? Look, I don't blame you, honey. I know I sound like I'm blaming you, like it's all your fault, but I know whose fault it is. Uh, maybe you would be crazy if you married me. It isn't that I don't want to, Dominic. I know the guy I used to be married to was a better guy than me with his education and everything. He... He was good for everything, but to make you happy. Me, I'm good for nothing but to make you happy. In your book, that isn't much to offer, I guess, but, but it it's... is. It's everything. Everything, Dominic. But... Yeah, everything but with a but, huh? All right, so I'm a bookie, so what? 
I, I know you're too good for oh, me, darling. But, but maybe with your help I could climb a few steps up to where you wouldn't be too ashamed of me, to where you wouldn't be too ashamed to become my wife. I'm not ashamed of you, Dominic. You're, you're good. Yeah, I know what the trouble It's the business we're in. That's why you're afraid. Well, I'll get out of it. I swear it. All I need is a little more dough. If I can only make one hit with a good horse bed. If, if only my number clicks, Daddy. If I, I... Oh, no. Dominic. What is it? What's the matter? Oh, that guy just came in. Now, don't look. Don't look. What? Oh, what is that knucklehead doing way out here? Who is it? A guy named Dolly. One of the boys. One of the boys who does business with Maury. Dolly? He's never been to your office, has he? He doesn't know you? No, no, but I, I talk to him on the phone every day. Well, as long as he's never seen you, we're lucky. Maybe he won't see us. I'll keep looking away from him. Would it be very bad if he did know who I was? And he saw you with me? Oh, that blabbermouth of his. Maury would know in half an hour. I only hope... Oh, God. He's seen us. He's coming over. Now, don't talk. Don't talk. Hey, Dominic! Dolly! Well, what do you know? I kept looking over here. I thought it was you. What are you doing out here? Oh, we came out here for the lasagna. They put out a terrific dish of lasagna. Is that so? You think a food in a joint in a place like this would be lousy? No, no, no. It's great. Why else would I drive all the way out here? Say, uh, what brings you out this way? Just waiting for a friend to pick me up in his car. Got a little business up the road. A couple of guys in the service station like to make bets, but they ain't too sudden with the payoffs when they lose. Oh. Well, uh, ain't you going to introduce me to your girlfriend? Uh, oh, sure. Sure. Excuse me, Dolly. I'm so surprised to see you here. Uh, Dolly, this is Sally. Sally, I'd like you to say hello to an old friend of mine, Dolly. Pleased to meet you. How do you do? You crazy about lasagna, too, Sally? Uh, yes, yes, I'm crazy about lasagna, too. Hey, I ever meet you before... You from town? Uh, no, Dolly, no. She's from out of town, upstate. Yeah, I, I come from upstate. Well, there's something familiar about you. <laughs> something funny, ain't it? Well, maybe Sylvia looks like someone you used to... Sylvia? I thought you said Sally. <laughs> How stupid can I get? You know, I, 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 I never call you Sylvia when I'm talking to you, do I, honey? When I'm talking about you, I always call you by your regular name. But when I'm talking to you, I always call you by your nickname, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I know how it is. All you guys call me Dolly. My folks call me by my real name, yeah, well, Edgar. Well, where did the Dolly come from? Because I like the dolls. You know me, Dominic. <laughs> hey, there's my friend now. See you around, Dominic. Uh, sure thing, Dolly. Nice to meet you, miss. Very nice meeting you, too. Uh, I could swear I knew you from someplace. Something awful familiar. Well, maybe I'll remember if I see you again. So long. So long, Dolly. Oh, I think I gave it away, so... No, no, no. You covered it up all right. Did I? Do you think I did? Yes, darling. I'm sure you did. But I planted the name Sylvia in his head. And that little sharpie might just make the connection. I recognize his voice. You see, if you recognize his voice, then but he I must have recognized you. But I knew it was your... Dolly. But he knows now that your name is Sylvia. And he said he thought you'd met and he's right. He meets you every day on the phone. He'll forget all about us the minute he leaves oh, here. Oh, why did I let your name slip? Why didn't I think? Why didn't I think? Dominic, what would Maury do if he found out about us? It all depends. On what? If it put ideas in his head, it wouldn't be so healthy for me. What kind of ideas? Ideas like you've been helping me to beat him. He wouldn't think that. He wouldn't. Oh, Every bet I won since you've been working for him would look suspicious. I know, Maury. But I haven't been helping you to beat him. I know it, but can you prove it? I never thought of that before. Well, start thinking about it, baby. 
Someday proving it or not proving it is going to make a big difference in my future. I don't want to wind up like Billy Mullen. What happened to Billy Mullen? He disappeared. One day he just disappeared. Oh, no. Come on, let's get out of here. Well, where are we going? What, what can we do? Wait. We'll just wait until we find out whether Dolly gets wise. And if he does? Maury will know. And when he knows, we'll know. Oh, darling, what do we do? Look, we've got tonight, baby. Let's make the most of it. Maybe it's all we've got. Thank you very much, Dane Clark and Martha Scott, for a most impressive performance. And if you two will stick around, I would like to chat with you. But first, our darling sponsor, the Reynolds Metals Company, wants to know, have you a little aluminum in your home? Chances are you have much more than a little Reynolds aluminum in your home. Well, let's see. Aluminum pots and pans in your kitchen, of course. Bright foil packages on your pantry shelves. Your own handy kitchen rolls of Reynolds Wrap, the pure aluminum foil. An aluminum freezer compartment in your refrigerator. Besides ice trays, crispers, shelves. Aluminum in all your household appliances. And what else? Are you one of the fortunate homeowners who have Reynolds aluminum windows and heat reflective foil insulation? Are the rain gutters around your house and the flashing on your roof Reynolds lifetime aluminum? And how about the aluminum ducts of your heating or air conditioning system? Did we say a little aluminum? Why, this is the age of aluminum. Reynolds Aluminum. And now I'd just like to have a moment out to ring my chimes. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. This is The Big Show, Act Two. And here again is Tallulah Bankhead. Come over here, Dane Clark and Martha Scott. Will you, darlings? I want to talk with you. I'm dying to know how you two make out with your romance in the number. That excerpt you just gave us left me guessing. How, how does it come out, Dane? Do you get the girl? Well, I, I don't like to give away the end of the play. Oh, come on. Nobody's listening. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You ever play the numbers? Well, here's a number, and this will give you the solution. Six, nine, three, five, three. What's this? Circle six, nine, three, five, three. It's the phone number at the box office at the Biltmore Theater. Buy a couple of tickets, find out. Well, that's the cowardly way to find out, of course. But, Martha, you'll tell me, won't you? Sure, I'll tell you. I knew you would, darling. But first, uh, would you tell me something? What? I understand you're writing a book, the story of your life. Yes, uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you how the play ends if you'll tell me how the story of your life's gonna end. Uh, <laughs> ever play the numbers, darling? Uh-huh. Uh, here's a number that'll give you the solution. Uh, three, seven, five. Three, seven, five. What's this? The price of the book, darling. Oh. <laughs> I see you've played this number games before. You, you, you know, Tallulah, I can guess a person's age by the numbers. What other way is there, darling? Well, no, I mean it's a sort of a game of numbers. Now, now for instance, take your age and multiply it by two. Out loud? No. no keep it to yourself. Well, I've had plenty of practice for that. Now, um, what did you want me to do? Multiply your age by two. Yes, I've got that. Now, divide it by two. Uh-huh, I've got that. Now, what number did you come out with? 
28. <laughs> I played the game before. <laughs> oh, uh, Tallulah. Yes, George. You know, every week that I've appeared on this program and have undertaken to do a serious dramatic playlet, uh, some member of your cast has always burlesqued it. Oh, do you want to do a burlesque, darling? Well, uh, I'd rather see one, but um, <laughs> as long as I'm stuck here, I'd like to do one. Well, wonderful. You can do a burlesque of the number. Oh, by the way, I want you to meet Martha Scott and Dane Clark. Did you like their performances? Oh, I thought they were great. Well, tell them you thought they were great, will you, darling? Joy, this is Martha Scott. How do you do? And great Scott. And this is Dane Clark. Hello. And great Dane. <laughs> now, you see, darling, isn't it pleasant to be sweet? Now, whom did that hurt? Only me. All right. Martha and Dane, you've had your chance at the number. Now, let us show you how a couple of real hambos would do it. Meredith, put us in the mood. <laughs> This is a quaint little restaurant you brought me to, Dominic. And do you like it, Sarah? Uh, darling, my name is Sylvia. Oh, I beg your pardon. What a lovely place for dinner. It must be miles from London. It is. This is Paris. <laughs> well, how, however did you find it, Dominic? And well, I'll tell you, Sydney. The uh, name is Sylvia. No. Mm. I'll tell you, Sylvia. It was uh, recommended to me by a friend of mine from London, a Dane who works there as a clerk. <laughs> oh, I know whom you mean, Martha Scott. Now, let's start with some wine. Innkeeper, Madame Lasagna, a bottle of wine and two glasses. D Dominic, darling, suddenly, suddenly I feel nervous about being here with you. Why, Celia? Sylvia. <laughs> I knew it started with an S. Why, Sylvia? Just because I'm in the numerals racket? <laughs> I tell you, I have a plan. You're going to tell me what the numeral is for tomorrow, and I shall place a big wager on it. And we'll be rich. <laughs> to leave this racket and go to Italy. We'll start our own racket in Italy. Oh, of course, darling. It'll be so much more dignified, Roman numerals. <laughs> well, shall we drink to it? Innkeeper, where is she? A bottle and two glasses. Now, uh, tell me, what is, it, what is tomorrow's numeral? <laughs> tomorrow's numeral is 47781... One, nine, four, three, six, five, two. Oh, no, no, just a minute. Nine, oh, five, three, three, two, seven, six, four. Uh, just a minute. Four, I... four, three, eight, eight, five, oh, two. You got it? No, 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 don't write it down. Remember it. I'm going to place a thousand pounds on it, Stella. Sylvia. Yes, Sylvia, a thousand pounds. Now, where's that wine? Innkeeper. A bottle and two glasses. What's the matter with the service in this place? What is it, Dominic? What's the matter? That man who just came in, Selma. Sylvia. <laughs> that man. Who is it? Dolly. 
What's he doing here? I mustn't let him know who you are. He sees us. He's coming over. Leave it to me. Well, hello, Dominic. <laughs> oh, hello, Dolly. Why so formal? Just call me Salvador. <laughs> I say, who is the girl? She is a smasher. <laughs> now, may I present my friend, uh, Mr. Dolly? This is Sylvia. Now he remembers my name. <laughs> Sylvia? So you're from Maury's. Well, Mr. Amsterdam isn't going to like that. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to be out with one of the bookmakers. There's only one thing to do. No, no, not that. I'm sorry. It's the boss's orders. Innkeeper, a bottle and one glass. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, George. That was fun. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> and now, a lovely singing star. When Mary Martin left the New York Company of South Pacific to go to London to play it there, Dick Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein were sorely pressed to find someone to replace Miss Martin. Many applicants turned up for the job, but they were waiting for Miss Wright to come along. Miss Wright turned out to be Miss Martha Wright, who won the plaudits of all the critics for keeping South Pacific the hit it still is. For her selection tonight, Miss Wright has chosen another Dick Rogers hit, Falling in Love with Love. Meredith, if you're ready, darling. I weave with brightly colored strings to keep my mind off other things. So ladies, let your fingers dance. And keep your hands out of romance Lovely witches, let the stitches Keep your fingers under control Cut the thread, but leave the whole heart whole Mary made them so and sleep wives can only sow and weep falling in love with love is falling for make-believe falling in love with love is playing the Thank you. 
one night when the moon was full, I was unwise with eyes unable to see. I fell in love with love, with love, with love, with love, with Thank you, Martha. Thank you. What a lovely voice you have, Martha. Come here, I want to talk to you, Martha Ray. Ray? No cheering for yourself, darling. <laughs> it's Martha Wright. Oh, yes, I'm wrong. You're right. I always wondered what happened to Abbott and Costello. Well, uh, George Abbott is still producing shows, and Frank Costello, well, you've heard of his television success. <laughs> Tell me, sweetie, how does it feel to be such a hit as a replacement for Mary Martin? The reason I ask, darling, is that some young actresses aren't happy to have to replace a big star. And yet there's no better way to go on to become a great star in your own right. Yes, I know. We all have our Ethel Barrymores. Oh, <laughs> Martha, about that Mary Martin crew cut you have to wear in South Pacific... Do you have that cut at the beauty shop, or would you like to have it pulled out right here? Mind if I watch? Oh, George, I'm glad you came over. Martha, uh, do you know George Sanders? I'm happy to meet you, Mr. Sanders. Naturally. <laughs> George, Martha Wright is the star of South Pacific. Indeed. Mm, South Pacific's my favorite musical. You know the story, don't you, George? It's the story of an English governess who comes in... No, Tallulah, it's the story of an American nurse. Oh, well, governess and nurse, they're about the same. And this governess enters the service of the King of Siam. Uh, <laughs> the nurse is in the service of Uncle Sam. Oh, Sam, Siam, what's the difference? Now, <laughs> this king has 123 children, you see. Um, it's a plantation owner, and he has two children. Well, those may be the two he talks about. <laughs> Tallulah, you're telling the story of the King and I instead of South Pacific. Oh, was I, Martha? I wasn't listening. <laughs> but as long as I've told the story of the King and I, how about you and George doing a duet from the King and I? A clever way of leading to a song cue, or don't you think, George? <laughs> I cannot tell a lie. No. Oh, very well. Ladies and gentlemen, here are George and Martha Washington. <laughs> Singing a duet from King George III and I. The song, The Beautiful I Have Dreamed. Meredith, the clever chord, if you please. Time and again 
I've thought all the things that you your arms are lovely I have dreamed what a joy you'll be I have dreamed every word you'll whisper when you're close close to me and Martha Wright. What a wonderful plug for South Pacific and I. <clears throat> and now, darlings, let me tell you that I like to think of myself as a discoverer of young talent. It so happened that a few weeks ago, I was at a smart little East Side nightclub and I was quite impressed with the young, talented lady who entertained there. She was fresh and young and beautiful and she had some wonderful material. I asked her if she would like to come on the big show this week. Well, unfortunately, she said she'd be out of town this week. But sitting at the table next to me was Mary McCarty, who also liked her. So here she is, Mary McCarty. Kalula, <laughs> you made a slight mistake in that introduction, darling. That young lady who was entertaining on the floor of that nightclub all night was you. <laughs> me? Why, I wouldn't do any such thing. Oh, you certainly didn't. Even after the floor show, I danced by the orchestra and you were sitting there playing the saxophone. <laughs> well, now, darling, that just proves it wasn't I. I usually play the drums. Oh. <laughs> I wondered why they didn't give me a bill for my dinner that night. Oh, well. Uh, tell me, Mary, uh, where are you working now? Well, I'm opening Thursday night at the Waldorf Astoria. Really? What room number, darling? <laughs> Empire Room. Oh, the Empire Room, of course, darling. You know, Mary, that's one branch of show business I've never been in, appearing on a nightclub floor. Professionally, you mean. <laughs> of course. 
I've tinkered with the idea of making a nightclub appearance. I've uh, tinkered with the idea of singing. Well, Tallulah, darling, if you ever went into nightclubs, you'd undoubtedly be the biggest tinker in the business. Oh, <laughs> oh you're so sweet to say that, Mary. Or are you? Well, Mary, what kind of things go best in nightclubs these days? Well, Tallulah, many things go into making up a nightclub. The late hours, the drinks on the tables, phones that ring for reservations, and undoubtedly the most important factor is the nightclub singer. I know all of you have gone to many clubs, you've heard different girls singing in them. For instance, I'm certain you've all heard the girl that has trouble with her piano player. Somehow she thinks that she's always right and that he's always wrong. She works like this. Well, are you ready? Yes. Well, kick it. <laughs> Somebody loves me, I wonder who, I wonder who he can be. Somebody needs me, I wish I knew. Oh, what's the matter with you, your dog? You having trouble at home or something? You don't have to take it out on my act. <laughs> Try it again, and this time with the fingers, go on. <laughs> Somebody loves me, I wonder who, I wonder who he can be. Somebody needs me, I... What do you think you're doing? You're playing for Tallulah or something? I've got black keys and white keys and you're singing in the cracks. I'm singing in the cracks? <laughs> well, you're working under a handicap. If I'm singing in the crack, you're playing the wrong words. <laughs> then, of course... There's always a girl, the nightclub singer, who's played the same saloon for over five years. Now, this girl doesn't worry about a job for a minute, because she knows all of you by your first name. And whenever you come into the nightclub, why, she'll sit at your table, have a drink with you, talk with you about the folks at home. And just to keep on the safe side, she goes out with the boss on Saturday night. She works like this. Hello, honey, how are you? You living? <laughs> You look at your pinhead, you look very clever. Yeah, you sure do. Hello, Max, how are you? When'd you get out, dear? <laughs> well, it agreed with you, so you had a good rest, I always say, yeah. Oh, it's smoky in here tonight, don't nobody inhale? <laughs> Hello, Graham, how are you? Fine, and you? I'm a little hungover tonight, honey. I didn't feel like coming to work. I thought about the gang, though. I didn't want to let nobody down, so here I am, laughing and scratching, kicking up a breeze, ready to go. Yes, sir. <laughs> I got rhythm, I get music I got my American ass birthing More about do 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 I got starlight Hey, Nellie! Nellie, how are you? You look wonderful, yeah I like your new hat on you Very big, yeah Very smart over the face Yeah, very clear <laughs> What? I'm singing like a bird I ought to I just killed a quarter black eagle <laughs> What happened to you last night? Huh? I waited for you Sure, I had a date with you at the bar. I was there till four in the morning, finally fell off a stool, they asked me to leave. Yeah. No, I'm not gonna be back again tonight, no, sir. How long I've been on, honey? About three minutes. That's enough for them. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the first show of the evening. I'll be back in a little while singing your favorite request. The management is very sorry about not having any napkins. However, every half hour, a large bushy dog will pass amongst you. <laughs> girl from a small town. She and her folks have saved their money, and they hope that when the kid gets to New York, maybe with good luck, she'll get a Broadway show. 
She runs into a Broadway shark, and he says to her, Now look, honey, you gotta sing loud, you gotta sing fast, and you gotta sound like you don't need the money, see? And it's very important, little girl, that you sing an arrangement. Now, I got an arrangement here, baby, that I'll sell you very cheap. It, it includes Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Rodgers and Hammerstein, everybody who was ever anybody in the music game. I guarantee you, little girl, you use this arrangement, you get every job you audition for. She gives this man all of her money, and unfortunately, she winds up as the girl with the over-arranged arrangement. You can usually tell this by her introduction, which goes something like this. Oh, Mary, darling. 
Mary, darling. <laughs> You're really simply wonderful. And good luck to you at the Waldorf Thursday. And now, before we continue with the rest of our show, including the hilarious Phil Foster, I want to take just one moment here to ring my silver anniversary chimes. Three chimes of silver. This is NBC. The National Broadcasting Company. This is The Big Show, Act Three. This portion brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Chiclets, the candy-coated gum with a flavor that won't chew out. Now here's an old friend, Bing Crosby, sounding off for Chesterfield. Sound off! Sound off! Sound off for Chesterfield! Friends, take a tip from Brother Bing. Get on the ball, get in the swing. Chesterfield is on the move with something smokers all approve. Mildness plus, no aftertaste. Mildness plus, no aftertaste. No unpleasant aftertaste in Chesterfield. That's right. From Florida to Oregon, Chesterfield salesmen are on the run, bringing dealers fresh supplies of the smoke that satisfies Chesterfield. 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 Modern, 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 modern. Chesterfield. That's right. Yes, Chesterfield is the smoke for you. They're milder, better taste. Into. Chesterfield now sets the pace with no unpleasant aftertaste. So here's what we want you to do. Right now. Yes, here's what we want you to do. Right now. Sound off. Oh, sound off. Try a pack of Chesterfields. Do it. Today. And here again is Tallulah Bankhead. Thank you, Ed. Although Phil Foster is one of the younger comedians, he is a veteran of the big show. This season and last season. After the hit he made here some weeks ago, we couldn't wait till he came back. So here he is now, darling, Phil Foster. Thank you. If I may, I'd like to talk to the women, both in homes and in the audience. Oh, I mean it. I'd like to talk to some of the mothers and grandmothers. On behalf of the men of this country, I'd like to say something to you women. Know you're going crazy? <laughs> well, you've been naming the newborn babies. You've you got to be out of your minds. Not that these names are so bad, but the combination between the first name and the last name just doesn't seem to fit. I'll show you what I mean. I have a friend over in Brooklyn, a fellow by the name of Leo Klutz. His wife just gave birth to a baby boy. Why do you figure they named the kid to give him a head start in this world? You ready? That's not his name, you ready. I mean, you ready? Huntley Fairfax. Huntley Fairfax Klutz. <laughs> and if that ain't a Klutz, whatever happened to the old-fashioned names like Joey, Eddie, Freddie, Mills, Sid, Sam, these names you don't hear anymore. Today you go in you know, any park, I don't care what park you go, you'll always find the mothers hanging around one bench. And besides, the kids are playing. Now one fact we must face together. These kids today are brilliant. Wow, what minds in these kids today. They're so intelligent. They're born at the age of 30. <laughs> These kids today will never play the games we used to play. Go explain to any kid today that years ago, my mother used to have to buy a broom every three weeks. 
To this day, my mother can't figure out what happened to the brooms. I used to steal them, use them for a bat to play a game of stickball, or pussycat, or wanna cat, or punchball. There's a beautiful game, punchball. Kids today never even heard of the game punchball. Yet you're looking at a guy who used to hit two and a half sewers. <laughs> With a spalding high bouncer. I'll give you some other games. Remember, you just take the fattest kid in the block, put him up against the wall. Jenny the Pony, one, two, three, go off. Green Alivio, capture the white flag, kick it a can. Beautiful games. Kids today don't play these kind of games. They're too intelligent. They play their own kind of games. So they got one kid tied to a tree and they're burning him. <laughs> the mothers see what's happening. They can't yell at the kids like in the old days. The old days, it's a funny thing. Every time I did something wrong, my mother's watched me from a window. My mother, the only woman I know who could see around the block. <laughs> if I jumped the back of an ice wagon and steal a hunk of ice, a small piece, a 15-cent piece. My mother, one scream from the window, Philly! I didn't do it, Ma! He did it! Today, mothers can't yell like that because they bring up children by a book. And the book says you shouldn't yell. You'll give the kid a complex. You gotta show him where it's wrong in burning another boy. <laughs> While the other one's burning. So they stop with these names. These names are beautiful, but they don't fit. Skylar. <laughs> Meredith. I heard the name last week was a beauty. Lafayette. <laughs> Can you just picture the grandmother calling this kid? Lafayette la. <laughs> I went down to Florida last winter. I was swimming around the pool one day. I heard a guy being paged. I almost drowned. Call <laughs> for Mr. Lupowitz. Mr. Penrod Lupowitz. <laughs> You know something? If you're in a park and you hear a mother call out the name Sam, you know what comes over? A horse. <laughs> I don't know, years ago it used to be families, eight, 10, 15 kids in a family. That was a family. Today a mother has one kid, one miserable little brat. <laughs> they don't know what to do with it. Mix up the losses, one little kid. Both grandmothers, both grandfathers, two nicest, three butlers, seven maids, eight neighbors. Everybody's watching the kid. Heaven forbid the kid's head should go up on the side, something like this. They call a specialist. Nobody can figure out why the kid's head rolled to one side. He's tired! The father, they don't let in the house altogether. <laughs> He's a germ carrier. <laughs> Where do you think the germs are? On the money he's got to pay the bills with. <laughs> I tell you, it's a funny thing. Since I've been fooling around with this routine, I found out by the sound of a name, you can almost tell what profession a person is in. No kidding. Take a name like Ernie. You know that Ernie ain't the king of England. Can't say that Ernie's the secretary of interior. But if you say, Ernie, get me a dozen eggs from the window. It fits a little better. 
If you got a kid named Seymour, don't even bother sending him to school. <laughs> when this kid will grow up, he's got a job. You ever walk into a drugstore? You must say, Seymour, make me a Walton. <laughs> Not too sweet. <laughs> Take a name like Ben. If you lengthen it and make it Bennett, you know that he's a book publisher. If you say Benny, he's a bookmaker. <laughs> Even girls' names. Like the life of the party, to me, her name is always Joan. Hey, last night, what fun we had with Joan, you know? And if you call up Joan, you say, Joan, I want you to get a blind date to me for a friend of mine. She must say, I have just the girl for you. She's not pretty, but what a personality. Her name is always Rhoda. And if Rhoda can't come because she has a head cold, she always sends her best friend to replace her, Zelda. <laughs> I don't know, in the old days, families were so large, they didn't have enough names to go around. Sure, the old man came home from work and said, you know, you became a father again? You went, <laughs> What am I gonna call it? They didn't know. She used to pull out her extra names in her hat. Whatever came out of the hat, that was your name. For 10 years, that's called seven and three eights. <laughs> Here's the biggest surprise of them all. I just finished. Tulululah. No matter what you now take for headache relief, we urge you to try Anacin for the incredibly fast relief these tablets bring the next time you're suffering from a headache. Now, the reason Anison is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes... Take Anison for this wonderfully fast relief. Anison, A-N-A-C-I-N. Anison at any drug counter in handy boxes of 12 and 30, economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. While reading through a book of diminutive dramas by Morris Baring, I came across one entitled Catherine Parr. Catherine Parr was the sixth and final wife of King Henry VIII. And their breakfast conversation in the play seemed the sort of thing that might take place any morning between any husband and wife, with a few minor royal exceptions. And so, with George Sanders as Henry VIII, and myself as Queen Catherine Parr, let's set the royal table. My egg is raw. Yesterday you complained it was hard. And so it was. I don't want a hard egg and I don't want a raw egg. I want one that's cooked just right. You're very difficult to please. The egg was in boiling water for three and one half minutes. I boiled it myself. I like them like that. I don't. Then give me that one and I will boil you another. No, it's too late now. But it is a fact that you have no idea how to boil an egg. One would have thought that a woman of your experience might at least know how to boil an egg. 
I hate a watery egg. Poor dear Katie used to boil an egg so beautifully. Do you mean Catherine Howard or Catherine of Aragon? I was alluding to poor dear misguided Katie Howard. Catherine of Aragon never was my wife. The marriage was not valid. Lucky Catherine of Aragon. Mind your tongue. All I said was that Catherine Howard knew how to boil an egg. She should have known how, considering her mother was a kitchen maid. That is utterly untrue. Her mother was a Rockford. You're thinking of your second wife, Anne Boleyn. Oh, yes, yes, to be sure. Katie's mother was a Somerset, wasn't she? You're thinking of your third wife, Jane Seymour. Not at all. I know that Captain Howard's mother was a kitchen maid. And I think it's very unkind of you to mention her to me. I suppose you mean that you wish that she were alive instead of me. Well, I never said anything of the kind. All I said was that she knew how to boil an egg. Well, the best thing you can do is get rid of me and, uh, and marry someone who's, who's, whose mother was a, a chicken. Oh, Catherine... Don't go. I, I really didn't mean to offend you. you. You know how to boil an egg beautifully. Well, don't think I'll ever boil one for you again, because I shan't. Now, you know, let us be calm and forget about eggs. I was thinking we might have a little music this morning. I have composed a new ballad, which I should like to try over with you. It's for viol and lute and voice. Uh, we might try it. Well, what is it called? It's called The Triumph of Love. And it begins... Come list to Alexander's deed, great Jove's immortal son, who, riding on a snow-white steed, to Babylon did come. Son doesn't rhyme with come. It's not meant to. It's assonance. What's that? Uh, it's a thing that, um, that poets do when they're... Uh, know, when, when they're not good enough to make uh, things rhyme. Besides, isn't that about Alexander the Great? Well, of course it's about Alexander the Great. Who else riding on a snow-white steed to Babylon did come? It mustn't have been somebody else. Because Alexander's horse was black. Everybody knows that Alexander's horse was white. Black, black is Jack. It was white! You can ask anyone you like. There are hundreds of pictures of Alexander on his black horse. My father has one. But then the painter made a mistake. In Plutarch. Xenophon, Aristotle, they all mention his white horse. Black. Have you read Xenophon? I don't have to. Well, I'll prove it to you. There's a Plutarch here in the bookcase. I remember it particularly well because my brother had a black horse and we called it Bucephalus, after Alexander's black horse. Black, it never would have been called Bucephalus. It would be absurd to call a black horse Bucephalus. But not so absurd as calling a white horse Bucephalus. Here, here, here it is in Plutarch, it says... Alexander's horse had all the characteristics of the white Thessalian horses of that day. See? It practically says the horse was black. It says what? The paragraph says all the characteristics of a white horse. It's mentioned because in this case it was unusual. If it was a white horse, they'd have said a white horse. And the characteristics could be taken for granted. The very fact that the characteristics are mentioned proves that the horse was black. I tell you the horse was white. I know it as well as I know my own name. Even that must confuse your times. You have the names of so many wives to remember. Pray, what brings my former wives into this? You did. When? Before, with the eggs. You know you're wrong and you try to escape the point. That's just like a Tudor. No Tudor could ever listen to reason. I won't stand this any longer. Page! Page! Your Majesty... I'm going to go and tell the Lord Chamberlain to make the necessary arrangements for transporting the ex-queen to the tower. Yes, Your Majesty. Uh, does Your Majesty mean the late queen's remains? I mean this ex-queen, Catherine Parr. Me. Oh. 
Uh, yes, Your Majesty. And tell him to prepare for an execution. Yes, Your Majesty. And on the way, ask Dr. Butts whether Alexander the Great had a white horse or a black one. It was black. Well, since I'm to be executed, I dare say you will allow me to go and pack my things. No, wait a moment. There's no hurry. I beg your pardon. I have very little time and a great many letters to write. And I... I wanted to have some music. I'm so sorry. My singing voice is not at its best when my head is off. Uh, perhaps you can find someone else with a stronger throat. Well, don't you know when I'm joking, my dear? You don't mean to tell me that you take this execution order seriously. No, of course not. You have such a sense of humor. <laughs> no, come, come. Let bygones be bygones and let us have some music. I want to play you my ballad. Your Majesty, I, I can't find the Lord well, Chamberlain. Never mind him. What did Dr. Butts say about the color of the horse? White or black? Uh, uh, Dr. Butts said uh, the horse is... Uh, the color your majesty said it was. <laughs> Very good. You may go. <laughs> you see, my dear? It was black. Are you going to begin again? No, I'm not. I know the futility of arguing with anyone as stubborn as you. Threatening me with execution just because you don't like the way I boil an egg. It had nothing to do with the egg. I'd forgotten about the egg. Then why are you screaming about it if it's forgotten? Well, please. May we go and have some music? Of course. You know I never oppose you in anything. That's very kind of you. Thank you. You're welcome. And we won't speak of the horse again. Agreed. You must have been thinking of King Alfred's horse. His horse was white. Thank you, George Sandler. You were magnificent. Of course, not quite as magnificent as the talented and beautiful ingenue who worked with you. Tallulah? Yes, Mary? You know, there's a lesson to be learned in that sketch you just did. I read somewhere that most married couples start fights over what's served for breakfast in the morning. Well, I guess the solution is not to get up in the morning. Or <laughs> uh, rather, another solution is not to get married. Well, it doesn't matter whether you're married or not. Why, complete strangers can get mad at each other at breakfast time. If the rest of your guests will join me, I'll show you what happens at the breakfast counter on the drugstore on my block. Phil Foster is the man behind the counter, and the rest of the guests are the customers. Good morning. What's good about it? Look, I already had an argument with my old lady this morning. Now, what do you want for breakfast? Hey, Seymour, give me a, a chocolate malted. <laughs> Not too sweet, honey. This is breakfast. What's the matter? You can't have an egg? All right, put an egg in it. That's better. How do you want the egg in your malted? Fried or scrambled? Hey, excuse me. I've been waiting for my order for a half an hour. What did you order? <laughs> Bicarbonate of soda. That's all you're having for breakfast? Bicarbonate of soda? All right, put an egg in it. <laughs> That's better. Fried or scrambled? All right, scrambled. Scrambled eggs and bicarbonate? What are you trying to do? Commit suicide? With bicarbonate, the only thing is fried egg. All right, a fried egg. Give it to me. Hey, how about a strip of bacon in it? Okay. Excuse me, sir, but if you're going to eat that for breakfast, would you mind moving down to the other end of the counter? <laughs> What's the matter? You got a sensitive stomach? I just heard you order a chocolate mullet with a scrambled egg in it. Well, it's better than a bicarb with bacon. Please, would you both mind moving to the other end of the counter? I really got a sensitive stomach. Seymour? Yeah, Miss Scott. I've been waiting here for my order for five minutes. Well, what did you order? Two three-minute eggs. So that's six minutes. <laughs> You've got another minute to go yet. 
What do you want with your eggs? Nothing. I'm on a diet. This is all you have for breakfast. Two lousy eggs. All right. Put a malted in it. <laughs> Look, sister, you're not going to eat that thing next to me, are you? All right. I'll move over here. Not next to me, you don't. Oh, Seymour, I'll have my usual this morning, a chocolate bar and a dish of vanilla ice cream. <laughs> Would you mind moving down to the end of the counter, miss? Yeah, yeah move, move down. down. Leave her alone. She's been eating that way every morning now for two years. Well, thank you, Seymour. Don't thank me, Miss Wright. I've been telling you for two years, it's no good, a chocolate bar with a dish of ice cream for breakfast. A fellow used to come in every day. For six months, he didn't eat anything but a chocolate bar and a dish of ice cream. For six months, nothing else. It finally got him. They operated on him last week. For what? For Eskimo pie. <laughs> I, uh, I beg your pardon, but um, uh, do you have a three-cent stamp? You're having a three-cent stamp for breakfast? Would you sit someplace else, please? I like this guy. Three-cent stamps for breakfast. Well, what do you want with that stamp? You gotta order something else with it. Oh, it's a package deal. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, what else have you? Do you serve food here? Food? If you want food, go to a restaurant. <laughs> this is a drugstore. We serve breakfast. What do you have? Oh, very well. I'll, uh, I'll have some scrambled eggs with kippers. With... <laughs> with kippers? I haven't got kippers. I'll give you scrambled eggs with a banana split. Yeah. I'll fry the bananas so they look like kippers. And I'll, I'll also press in a couple of small bones I got left over here. Wait a minute, where are you going? To the other end of the counter. <laughs> yes, miss. Can I take your order? I want a bowl of chow mein and some harmony grits on the side. <laughs> Nine o'clock in the morning, chow mein for breakfast. What breakfast? I always drop in for a snack before I go to bed. <laughs> And now, here's something of interest to you. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments. Chew Dentees, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So for breathless moments, for your breathless moments, Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Well, this is the spot, darlings, on the show where I have to be pleasant to my guests and bid them good night. Well, it's difficult to be pleasant when I know what they must be thinking about me. Well, now you just take that Mary Carter, for instance. She must be thinking of the lesson she learned tonight from just sitting up here on the stage watching the great Tallulah Bankhead work. I certainly learned a lot from watching the great Tallulah Bankhead work tonight. Boy, I'm going to save my money so I'm not going to end up like her. 
And then that poor little Martha Wright, a young star with her first big Broadway break. How she must envy me. I sure don't envy her. She's hoping that someday she'll be as big a name in the theater as I am. I hope they never call me the names they call her in the theater. <laughs> and then there are Dane Clark and Martha Scott, two young dramatic actors. How they love to hang around me. Well, I guess I'll have to invite them to the house tonight after the show. Look, Dane, if she invites us to her house again tonight, I'll shoot myself. With her luck, you'll miss. <laughs> Listen, Martha, if you get there ahead of me, I'll telephone you that somebody's ill at home. Yeah. And then when you leave, you call me. Suppose it doesn't work. Then there's always this ring. Dane, you mean? There's enough poison in there for both of us. It's <laughs> the only way. Hams. <laughs> That Phil Foster, he can't make me out at all. He's still trying to figure out if I'm animal, vegetable, or mineral. What a tomato. <laughs> that Tallulah Bankhead. And what a name, Tallulah. You know, since she's been doing this program, there's been more kids around named Tallulah. I saw two kids in a park, and a little boy says to the little girl, What's your name? And she says, Tallulah. <laughs> and she says to him, What's your name? And he says to her, same thing, Tallulah. <laughs> you know something? He sounded more like Tallulah than she did. <laughs> and, and finally, there's George Sanders. Well, for all his bored attitude about being on this show, he must like it. Because I see he's going to be on again next week. One more appearance on this show, and I will have paid off the bet I made on Dewey. <laughs> That's our show for this week, darlings. And we hope you'll be with us next week when our guests will be Fred Allen, Dolores Gray, Portland Hoffer, Paul McGrath, Lawrence Melchior, Ginger Rogers, George Sanders, and others. And, of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you, whether near or far away, Mary. May you find that long-awaited golden day today. Meredith? May your troubles all be small ones and your fortune ten times ten. Dane? May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again. Martha Wright. May you walk with sunlight shining and a bluebird in every tree. May there be a silver lining back of every cloud you see. Fill. Fill your dreams with sweet tomorrow. Never mind what might have been. Martha Scott. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again. George. May you long recall each rainbow, then you'll soon forget the rain. May the warm and tender. 
Speed to our armed forces everywhere. Good night, darlings. This portion of The Big Show has been brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison, for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Chiclets, the candy-coated gum with the flavor that won't chew out. The first half hour of The Big Show is presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company. The Big Show is produced and directed by D. Engelbach and written by Goodman Ace, Selma Diamond, George Foster, Mort Green, and Joel Murcott. The chorus is directed by Ray Charles. Special musical arrangements by Sidney Fine and Phil Moore. Graham Forbes was at the piano for Mary McCarty. This is Ed Hurley. He's saying good night. Enjoy Mirth and Music with Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on NBC. NBC.